Volume Six, Chapter Two of Cecilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morgan Scorpion. Cecilia, Memoirs of an Heiress by Fanny Burney, Volume Six, Chapter Two. The next morning the family purposed setting off as soon as breakfast was over. Young Delville, however, waited not so long. The fineness of the weather tempted him, he said, to travel on horseback, and therefore he had risen very early and was already gone. Cecilia could not but wonder, yet did not repine. Just as breakfast was over, and Mr. and Mrs. Delville and Cecilia were preparing to depart, to their no little surprise the door was opened and, out of breath with haste and with heat, in stumped Mr. Briggs. "'So,' cried he to Cecilia, "'what's all this, hey? Where are you going? A coach at the door? Horses to every wheel? Servants fine as lords? What's in the wind now? Think to choose me out of my belongings?' "'I thought, sir,' said Cecilia, who instantly understood him, though Mr. and Mrs. Delville stared at him in utter astonishment, "'I had explained before I left you that I should not return.' "'Didn't, didn't,' answered he angrily. "'Waited for you three days. "'Dressed a breast of mutton on purpose. "'Got in a lobster and two crabs, all spoilt by keeping. "'Stink already. Weather quite muggy. "'Forced to souse them in vinegar. "'One expense brings on another. "'Never begin the like again.' "'I am very sorry indeed,' said Cecilia, much disconcerted, "'if there has been any mistake through my neglect. "'But I had hoped I was understood, and I have been so much occupied.' "'Ay, ay,' interrupted he. "'Fine work, rare doings. "'A merry voxeling with pistols all at your noddles. "'Thought as much. "'Thought he'd tip the perch. "'Saw he wasn't stanch. "'Knew he'd go by his company. "'A set of jackanapes, all black legs. "'Nobody warm among em. "'Fellows with a month's good living upon their backs, "'and not sixpence for the hangman in their pockets.' "'Mrs. Delville now, with a look of arch-congratulation "'at Cecilia as the object of this agreeable visit,' finding it not likely to be immediately concluded, returned to her chair. But Mr. Delville, leaning sternly upon his cane, moved not from the spot where he stood at his entrance, but surveyed him from head to foot, with the most astonished contempt at his undaunted vulgarity. "'Well, I'd all your cash myself. Seized that, else. Run out the constable for you next, and made you blow out your brains for company. Mind what I say. Never give your mind to a gold-lace hat.' "'Many a one wears it, don't know five farthings from twopence. "'A good man always wears a bob wig. Make that your rule. "'Ever see Master Howell wear such a thing? "'No, I'll warrant. Better if he had. Kept his head on his own shoulders. "'And now, pray, how does he cut up? "'What has he left behind him? A tway case, I suppose, "'and a bit of a hat won't go on a man's head.' "'Cecilia, perceiving, with great confusion, "'that Mr. Delville, though evidently provoked by this intrusion, "'would not deign to speak,' "'that Mr. Briggs might be regarded as belonging wholly to herself, "'hastily said, "'I will not, sir, as your time is precious, detain you here, "'but as soon as it is in my power I will wait upon you in the city.' "'Mr. Briggs, however, without listening to her, "'thought proper to continue his harangue. "'Invited me once to his house, sent me a card, "'half of it printed like a book, "'tother half a scrawl could not read, "'pretended to give a supper.' "'All a mere bam, went without my dinner and got nothing to eat, all glass and show. "'Victuals painted all manner of colours, lighted up like a pastry-cook on twelfth day, 
wanted something solid and got a great lump of sweetmeat, found it as cold as a stone, all froze in my mouth like ice, made me jump again and brought the tears in my eyes, forced to spit it out, believe it was nothing but a snowball just set up for show and covered with a little sugar. Pretty way to spend money, stuffing and piping and hopping. Never could rest till every farthing was gone. Nothing left but his own fool's pate, and even that he could not hold together. At present, sir, said Cecilia, we are all going out of town. The carriage is waiting at the door, and therefore... No such thing, cried he. Shan't go. Come for you myself. Take you to my own house. Got everything ready. Been to the broker's. Bought a nice blanket. Hardly a brack in it. Pick up a table soon. One in my eye. I am sorry you have so totally mistaken me, sir, for I am now going into the country with Mr. and Mrs. Delville. Won't consent. Won't consent. What will you go there for? Hear of nothing but dead dukes, as well visit an old tomb. Here Mr. Delville, who felt himself insulted in a manner he could least support, after looking at him very disdainfully, turned to Cecilia and said, Miss Beverley, if this person wishes for a longer conference with you, I am sorry you did not appoint a more seasonable hour for your interview. Ay, ay, cried the impenetrable Mr. Briggs, want to hurry her off, see that, but won't do. And to be nicked. Choose to come in for my thirds, won't be gulled. Shan't have more than your share. Sir, cried Mr. Delville, with a look meant to be nothing less than petrific. What, cried he, with an arch leer, all above it, hey? Warrant your Spanish don never thinks of such a thing. Don't believe him, my duck, great cry and little wool. No more of the ready than other folks. Mere puff and go one. This is language, sir, said Mr. Delville, so utterly incomprehensible that I presume you do not even intend it should be understood. Otherwise I should very little scruple to inform you that no man of the name of Delville brooks the smallest insinuation of dishonour. Don't he? returned Mr. Briggs with a grin. Why, how will he help it? Will the old grandees jump out of their graves to frighten us? "'What old grandees, sir? To whom are you pleased to allude?' "'Why, all them old grandfathers and aunts you brag of. "'A set of poor souls you won't let rest in their coffins. "'Mere clay and dirt. Fine things to be proud of. "'A parcel of old mouldy rubbish quite departed this life. "'Raking up bones and dust, nobody knows for what. "'Ought to be ashamed. "'Who cares for dead carcasses? Nothing but carrion. "'My little Tom's worth forty of them. "'I can so ill make out, Miss Beverley,' said the astonished Mr. Delville, "'what this person is pleased to dive at, "'that I cannot pretend to enter into any sort of conversation with him. "'You will therefore be so good as to let me know when he has finished his discourse, "'and you are at leisure to set off.' "'And then, with a very stately air, he was quitting the room, "'but was soon stopped upon Mr. Briggs calling out, "'Aye, aye, Don Duke, poking the old charnel-houses by yourself. "'None of your defunct for me.' "'Didn't care if they were all hung in a string. "'Who's the better for em? "'Pray, sir,' said Mr. Delville, turning round, "'to whom were you pleased to address that speech?' "'To one Don Puffendorf,' cried Mr. Briggs. "'Know ever such a person, hey?' "'Don who, sir?' said Mr. Delville, stalking nearer to him. "'I must trouble you to say that name over again.' "'Suppose don't choose it. How then?' "'I am to blame,' said Mr. Delville.' scornfully waving his hand with a repulsive motion, to suffer myself to be irritated so unworthily, and I am sorry, in my own house, to be compelled to hint that the sooner I have it to myself, the better I shall be contented with it. Ay, ay, want to get me off, want to have her to yourself. Won't be so soon chosed. Who's the better man, hey? Which do you think is warmest? 
and all got by myself, obliged to never a grandee for a penny. What do you say to that? Will you cast an account with me? Very extraordinary this, cried Mr. Delville, the most extraordinary circumstance of the kind I ever met with. A person to enter my house in order to talk in this incomprehensible manner? A person, too, that I hardly know by sight. Never mind, old Don, cried Briggs with a facetious nod. Know me better another term. Old who, sir? What? Old who, sir? What? Come to a fair reckoning, continued Mr. Briggs. Suppose you were in my case, and had never a farthing but of your own getting. Where would you be then? What would become of your fine coach and horses? You might stump your feet off before you'd ever get into one. Where would be all this fine crockery work for your breakfast? You might pop your head under a pump, or drink out of your own paw. What would you do for that fine jemmy tie? Where would you get a gold head to your stick? You might dig long enough in them cold vaults before any of your old grandfathers would pop out to give you one. Mr. Delville, feeling more enraged than he thought suited his dignity, restrained himself from making any further answer, but going up to the bell, rang it with great violence. "'And as to ringing a bell,' continued Mr. Briggs, "'you'd never know what it was in your life, unless could make interest to be a dustman.' "'A dustman?' repeated Mr. Delville, unable to command his silence longer. "'I protest,' and biting his lips he stopped short. "'I love it, don't you? Suits your taste. Why not one dust as well as another?' "'Dust in a cart good as dust in a charnel-house. "'Don't smell half so bad.' "'A servant now entering, Mr. Delville called out, "'Is everything ready?' "'Yes, sir.' "'He then begged Mr. Delville to go into the coach, "'and telling Cecilia to follow when at leisure, left the room. "'I will come immediately, sir,' said Cecilia. "'Mr. Briggs, I am sorry to leave you, "'and much concerned you have had this trouble, "'but I can detain Mr. Delville no longer.' and then away she ran, notwithstanding he repeatedly charged her to stay. He followed them, however, to the coach, with bitter revilings that everybody was to make more of his ward than himself, and with the most virulent complaints of his losses from the blanket, the breast of mutton, the crabs, and the lobster. Nothing, however, more was said to him. Cecilia, as if she had not heard him, only bowed her head, and the coach driving off, they soon lost sight of him. This incident by no means rendered the journey pleasant, or Mr. Delville gracious. His own dignity, that constant object of his thoughts and his cares, had received a wound from this attack which he had not the sense to despise, and the vulgarity and impudence of Mr. Briggs, which ought to have made his familiarity and boldness equally contemptible and ridiculous, served only with a man whose pride outran his understanding to render them doubly mortifying and stinging. He could talk, therefore, of nothing the whole way that they went but the extreme impropriety of which the dean had been guilty in exposing him to scenes and situations so much beneath his rank, by leaguing him with a person so coarse and disgraceful. They slept one night upon the road, and arrived the very next day at Delville Castle. End of chapter 2